You are listening to a Music Secrets Exposed podcast documentary series in association with Waterfall Music and the Paul Lloyd Warner Foundation. Episode 1, Hawaii, A New Grand Piano and First Compositions. Welcome to the Music Secrets Exposed podcast. Today we are introducing a special series of episodes documenting the life and work of a very special person, Paul Lloyd Warner, who is a prolific composer, poet and artist. His story is an incredible one. So stay tuned for this one. Welcome, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm well. Thank you very much for, for having me. That's fantastic. So how did you become a composer? I know you have a long story to tell, but start from the beginning. Tell us how you became a composer. Well, I mean, I started taking piano lessons when I was, uh, oh gosh, very young kid, sixth grade. I was, in, I was six years old. Uh, and uh, my mother brought me to a friend's house in Los Angeles where I was born. Uh, and uh, the woman had a piano there. So I started going to the piano and just banging the keys and making fun, uh, you know, as a kid would do. And the lady was very nice and very gentle. She came over and she put her hands on mine and says, no, do it this way. And she went, Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. And so I get my fingers made those work. It was such a simple song in the key of C. And lo and behold, there it was, I could play the song. I played it all by myself. And I said, look, mother, look what I can play. So I asked for piano lessons right then and there. And they gave it to me. I had piano lessons from the nice lady. So you've spent a lot of time in Hawaii. We've been chatting before the interview, learning about your story. And there's a lot to your story. So tell us, how did you arrive in Hawaii? And it had a huge effect on you. Oh. Yes, well, I mean, before that, there was a bunch of places I lived. Uh, I was raised in Los Angeles, went to UCLA. Uh, then I uh, lived in Italy for a while, then I came back to New York City, lived in New York for a while, for five years. And one day, I, it was the summertime, and I was walking along the, um, the not the boardwalk, but there's an area in, in Brooklyn Heights, that's a nice long walk right by the ocean. And you go there just to relax. And I, I met this fellow, everything was very friendly in New York. I met this fellow. Uh, he uh, had been traveling all over the Pacific. I said, I've made the decision to leave New York City. I, I don't know where to go. And he just stopped in his tracks. And he said, do this. He didn't know that I was a travel agent by profession at that time. So what he told me was everything I know. He said, get on a plane and fly directly 
to Hawaii, uh, to Oahu, uh, then change planes and go to Maui. When you arrive in Maui, rent your car and go to Lahaina, stay in the Lahaina, Lahaina Inn, or the Lahaina, Lahaina, right in the middle of town. Stay there for two weeks and your life will then blossom open. You have a great life if you do this. Wow. And what year was that? 1968. Wow. So that was a huge leap going from New York to Maui. Yes, I did that on Labor Day of 68. Wow. Okay. And I did exactly what he told me to. So what happened? Now, what happened next? What happened? But what happens is when I arrive in uh, Maui, there's all these young people from the mainland who have gone over there and they're grabbing all the places uh, as fast as they can find. I mean, there's newspapers, there's bulletin boards, that's the only place you can get uh, where you get information about homes. Every single home was always taken before I could get there. Oh, I'm so sorry, we just rented it out. And I was hearing that like for two solid weeks. Well, I was on the 12th day. I only had 14 days apparently. And uh, it was the Pioneer Inn Hotel. That's where I was staying in Lahaina. And on the 12th day, I'm getting frustrated. So I, I meet a fellow, it was at a vegetarian restaurant. And I said, I, I haven't found a place. He said, oh, I just got one today. Oh, great, good for you. He says, but I, I found another one that you might really like, it's available. I said, really, where? It was out in Hana. I didn't know where Hana was. Hana was on the other side of the island. It was in the tropical region where the Hawaiian people live. The most beautiful part of Hawaii, actually, the most tropical part. So he draws on a napkin, he draws a, a, how to get there, a little map how to find the landlord who lived across the way. So next day, early, on, on the 13th day, I'm on my way. And so I find the place, I find the landlord, he looks at me, and, okay, I'll show it to you. So it's like a three-bedroom, old-style Hawaiian home. It needed some painting, needed fixing up. But the whole place worked. Uh, so there I was, it was uh, incredible, I said, Oh gosh, I can't afford more than a hundred dollars a month for this place. Uh, and he said seventy-five dollars a month, not a dollar less. I took it. My God, seventy-five dollars. Seventy-five dollars. I was willing to pay two or three hundred if I had yeah. to. I saved about eight thousand dollars in nineteen sixty-eight money. Well, that was a lot of money uh, considered now. Uh, so, in any case. Uh, I, had, I took that place and painted it and made it my own. It was beautiful, just beautiful place. Well, okay, so then and there, um, there were all these waterfalls in the area. Hana is a very rich area for water. Most of the water that goes to the island is actually stored in dams and reservoirs in Hana and then moves around the island. Uh, uh, that, that's where they get the water. So there's lots of waterfalls and there's some local people and they take me to the very special out of the way waterfalls. And I'm going nuts, I'm going crazy. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever done. 
every day I was, I was cleansing myself with the pools right below the waterfall. And I swim over to the waterfalls and get all the cold water just dumping on me and going behind the waterfall looking out and the swimming around. The water was rather chilly, getting up uh, and sunning myself on the rocks and having something to eat and then going back into the waterfall and doing that throughout the day. Well, uh, I really felt my skin feeling golden and good and clean. I was cleansing out from all those years of living in, in cities. Yeah, it sounds like paradise. Uh, it just it, it is paradise. Yeah. Hawaii is paradise. And but you these waterfalls is something you have to hike to that they're not generally known. And so you go to them, some are just like jade green pools. Some are like you swim down these little these brooks uh, and the brooks are all filled with with ginger on the side. You go and you smell the ginger and someone teaches you how to take the ginger out and there's, there's a little stem. The stem is like a straw. You put a little delicate straw right to your mouth and you can suck out just the pure essence of that ginger. Beautiful. Wild ginger. It's just so beautiful. So, you know, I went to these waterfalls daily for a whole year. And it was just fantastic. And then after a year, uh, I was up done living at that house. I only had a year's lease on it. I could have extended it, but I needed money. I was out of, I was running out of money. Uh, and uh, so um, I knew a woman who lived in town. She was a very nice lady. She knew I was a travel agent. I was friendly with her, a Hawaiian lady. And I get a call from her. And she says, there's a, a small six unit Hawaiian motel, very nice, very modern one. And they need a manager. Their manager is leaving and they need someone. They've asked me to help find one. And I thought you'd be the perfect person with your travel agency experience in New York. So of course I do. I need a job. Yeah, perfect. I got the job, you know, and there I was. I was managing a beautiful hotel, not a hotel, really a six unit place, but just beautifully done. And they had excellent maids and excellent gardening and all that beautiful flowers. And the swimming pool was all made of stone. And the water used to be the water that people would go in the Hanai region. People would go in the early days, like a hundred years before, and collect the water from there. Oh, so now beautiful water. Oh, so clean. You could drink that water. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't Hawaii known for waterfalls and, and all the flora and fauna, really, apart from, of course, the volcanoes and all that? But it's it's really known for that, isn't it? Yes. And also, but the landscapes, because you go to some very primeval landscapes there uh, that are just where you hike, you have to hike up some hills and mountains. You get to a place where it's so stunning. You look at it and you say, it's impossible. It's impossible to believe that such a gorgeous place could ever exist in the world. But what's really, what's and, really intriguing me is the contrast from New York City to Maui is so, like, huge. The contrast, 
it must have been like a rebirth. It was a rebirth. That got me born there. Yeah. At first, I couldn't hear anything. And then my ears were very clogged from all those years of living in the city, even though I cleaned my ears, my ears were clogged. So I went to a doctor in Lahaina to clean my ears out. And boy, he found stuff in there that was too embarrassing to talk about. <laughs> but a lot of stuff came really? out. And suddenly I could hear. I could hear. And, and, and oh my God. And so now I could hear everything. I could see clearly. Yeah. I was fresh. I was eating papaya every day. There was a, a papaya farm you could go to yeah. in Hama at that time. And they pick a lot of papaya. Uh, they have a come down a, 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 a you know, like a lever and come down like a, a little road. These papayas and some were not so pretty looking. They wouldn't sell in the stores. They were perfectly good papayas. So they took the not so pretty ones and put them in a bag, and you could buy a whole shopping bag. For one dollar. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Luscious. Yeah. But and I go there twice a week. They're only open two days a week. And all the papyrus I wanted. Fresh, sweet. Oh, so healthy. So good. But it sounds it sounds such a healthy lifestyle. I mean, when you look at the, the jungle climate that you know Maui has, it's it looks to be from me and for others who haven't been there, that it's healthy. There you get great natural food there. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant for health. It is. You see, it lies in a part of the tropics, just above the Tropic of Capricorn, uh, that gets the trade winds. The winds come, breezes come, uh, from a, um, I guess, a, a northerly, northerly direction, and those breezes are air conditioned the land. So you really don't need air conditioning, except only in certain places. Okay. Most homes don't have yeah. it. You get the breeze uh, out throughout the day, and sometimes at night you get the wonderful cool breezes at night. The palm trees are swaying and everything. Is oh, really, you're, you're just really... painting paradise, really. As you talk about it, it's just just paradise. Now, you met, well, I, you met a spiritual yeah. teacher by the name of Hannah Veery. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Well, first, just before I do, um, I, I uh, was now, I left the hotel because I was able to get a job teaching photography at the University of Hawaii. And that lasted for six months. Uh, and so then at that time, I decided, well, what am I going to do next? Um, I think I need to move to Oahu with this more opportunity for work. Uh, so a friend of mine named Doug, and he was developing a, a, a new kind of a candle. This is the backstory, a new kind of a candle. Uh, and he showed me how to make this candle. It was revolutionary, nothing like you'd ever seen before. It was made with sand, but it wasn't a normal looking sand candle. I won't attempt to describe it too much here, but that candle changed my life. I started helping make the candles, but he was not an artist. He developed the idea, which was a brilliant idea, but I took it over and made it art and made it beautiful. 
I made a bunch of them and I came to uh, to the uh, to Oahu for the, what they call on New Year's Day, they had a crater festival in Diamond Head. Diamond Head is the big uh, volcano, dead volcano. That's a military installation. Once a year, they open it up for the public. And they erect a big stage and all the big talent come to, uh, to sing and to dance. Um, and then they have a, a big art show. So I signed up for the art show with, with the candles I had designed. And I couldn't believe it. I made around $3,000 in by in three or four hours selling. And what year, what year was that, out. Paul? What year? That was 1970. Wow, that was a lot of money in 1970, wasn't it? Yes, it yeah. was. Uh, and um, um, I, I I sold out by, by one o'clock in the afternoon. If I had made more, I'd have, I would have $5,000. But I was happy. Uh, and so that got me into Oahu, and I found a place to live and do, do the candle business there and get really started making those candles. And that was a big job. That was a big, big job, all day, all day worth of work. Well, meanwhile, I had a friend, his name was Rick uh, Richard, and he um, was telling me about a woman who was teaching uh, religious science, science of mind, or metaphysics. That was your question yeah. about this woman. Her name was Hamaviri. Well, I refused to go. I was already enlightened. You know, I had studied Zen Buddhism. I had studied Sufism. I had studied um, yoga. I did yoga practice every day. Uh, so I was enlightened. I didn't need anything more. <laughs> so it seemed. And he'd come over to me and said, Paul, you've got to come to this. It's amazing. She is amazing. She doesn't charge you any money. You will learn what you never learned before. It's nothing like you've learned. No, no, I'm busy with my candles. I, I'm enlightened already. <laughs> Can you imagine someone saying you're enlightened? Yeah, I know. Uh, how, how naive yeah. I was now, how young I was. Uh, so in any case, uh, one day he came to my house and says, Paul, I'm taking you. I'm taking you. I'm kidnapping you. You get into the car, sit down here, and I'm driving you out to where she lives, which was in a suburb of Honolulu called Aina Haina. And Aina Haina is, is more in the dry zone. There are tropical trees and things, but it's not the wet zone. And what, what age were you now at this point? Well, it was 1970, so I was born in 1938, so I was 28 years old, 29. I, I was actually going on into 30 years old. Yeah, I was 30 around that time, if my math is correct. <laughs> so, okay, so anyway, so I went to her class. Just a small group of people, maybe eight or nine people sitting on a couch in the living room. She was magnificent. She was an older lady, grandmother of type, white hair, but very fresh and uh, full of vitality. She, she was pure Hawaiian. She could have been a Hawaiian kahuna for all, all you, you, you believe because she had that kahuna look to her intense eyes. So she was really native. Really had that native flavor about her. 
very much so. But without, but without putting it on. Yeah, natural. It was just completely natural. And so she studied with Ernest Holmes, who's the founder of Science of Mind, and the, the man who wrote the book called Science of Mind, Metaphysics. Well, I never studied that before. Um, and my family, we're Jewish, and now we were learning something about Christian metaphysics, whatever that is. Christian metaphysics meant in her mind was to teach the wisdom that Jesus taught others, to, to have the mindset of Jesus. What was the mind of Christ as he healed the lepers? as he kissed the lepers and was not afraid of, uh, of getting ill. Uh, and that, so develop what would be called Christ consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And it was that concept that was not worshiping Jesus, was worshiping God, God and only God. And the idea behind science of mind is that, and in, meta, in this kind of metaphysics, that there is only God and nothing but God. We're surrounded and infused by God. Uh, we're, there's no separation between man and God. God lives in man. Man is created by God. And God exists in man, not as a person, but as a soul, as the soul of God. That's what we're, I was learning in a nutshell uh, from her. And I really took to that very well. Uh, then part of the early stages of learning science of mind is you have to learn how to manifest something, that the art of manifestation. And so we had a project, all had a project to manifest. We had to name what we wanted to manifest. And, you know, one girl, she wanted a boyfriend and oh, one boy, he wanted a girlfriend. And, Someone wanted a new home to live, a new job, <laughs> that kind of thing. One woman said, I want a new husband. I, I don't have a husband anymore. Fine. What did I want? I wanted a grand a piano. A grand piano in Hawaii. in Hawaii. I never owned a grand piano. Oh, I know. Yeah. I, I rented them, but I never owned my own grand piano. I wanted my own grand piano. Okay, well, I was making candles. I would make good money, but I really couldn't afford a grand candle, brand new grand candle. Those were thousands of dollars. I have. I, I didn't have credit in those days either. So, um, okay, what am I going to do? So I see an ad in the local paper. There is a man who rebuilds pianos, and he has one. It's called the Howard. Howard is not known to be a very good piano, uh, but he rebuilt the piano and uh, I could come take a look at it. He was selling it for $2,500. I could swing it. I mean, it was a stretch, but I could do it. I went to see the piano. Oh my God, it was all brand new, all new strings, all new hammers, all, all new action. I played it and it really sounded good. He made that piano sound excellent. Now the outside part of the piano called the case, he had sanded down and probably didn't look very good in the first place. Uh, and he uh, uh, then uh, uh, just couldn't finish it. It wasn't finished. 
he needed his black satin and he just wasn't able to to do that make that part happen he said uh, come come back in two weeks and i should probably have it finished and meanwhile everyone is manifesting what they want to manifest in class they, the girl gets their boyfriend, the boyfriend gets their girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. They get the house. I'm waiting. I'm the Johnny come lately. I'm the last guy. To get anything. To and everyone knows it's a piano I'm manifesting. Um, finally, two weeks goes by and he uh, hasn't finished the job. Oh, I was upset. I said, I need the piano now. So he called me up. He said, I'll tell you what. I'm so tired of this piano. I've done everything I can to fix it up. It plays really beautifully. I can't do the case. I don't have the, the feeling to do it. I'm going to sell you the piano for $1,000 instead of $2,500. $1,000 instead of $2,500? 1, right. For a grand piano? And I'll deliver it to you. I'll deliver it. Wow. And what size was the, the grand piano? Like how big, you know, the way you've got baby grands, which are, I think, if I'm right, three by Maybe six or whatever. Baby grand. Maybe a little larger than a baby yeah. grand. Okay. Yeah, larger than a baby grand. A thousand you got oh. it for. That's amazing. A thousand. And so my friends helped me finish it off. We, 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 we decided to paint it brown, not black. The wood was beautiful. All sat down, so we shellacked it, colored it in, and shellacked it, and all that, and made made it look nice. It was fine. Meanwhile, I now had a very like a brand new piano. But you, but you had cool. manifested for the first time. That must have been like, wow. What's just after happening? Well, you see, that was that because when you manifest, it's not like you're just manifesting something. You. In science of mind is that you stand at the gateway to your mind and you only allow in thoughts that will serve you, that are good, positive, creative, and, and bring you to a good feeling in life. You don't, you don't stand at the gateway of your mind letting negative, dark So really you're guarding your mind, you're protecting your mind in a sense. That's what you learn to do. That's that's amazing. That's exactly what you learn to do. That's amazing. Don't mind the dog barking. <laughs> she's, she'll be quiet. Yeah. Moment. Part part of your story, the dog, I have no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so manifestation is to bring into physical form and to create something from your thinking process. But if you like if you need a, a, a car your car breaks down you need to buy a new car but you can't afford a brand new car and the car costs let's say uh well i'm thinking of dollars let's say it costs three thousand um, dollars i can't think of that translate that to irish pounds maybe you can. yeah three thousand people uh, i suppose uh let me see about two thousand four hundred euros Okay. That. All right. So okay. So okay. So my parents say, okay, look, I'll give you a thousand towards your car, and I have, let's say, five hundred in the bank. But a friend of mine says, listen, I'll I'll, I'll give you five hundred. Okay, that that's basically two thousand. Now I have to manifest the other thousand. 
Will the bank will give you a loan for a thousand? There it is. Thousand. I got a bank. What I'm curious about Hannah Veary. She she had a lot. She yeah. did a very strong Hawaiian foundation under her. If you get me. Did she give you tools that that you would use each day to to really learn how to work your mind in the way that she was training you to? Had you to do activities every day as guided by her? Sort of, but to be precise, uh, she opened up the book of Science of Mind and read it to us where we received the tools that Ernest Holmes, whom she studied with. Oh, she, she studied with Ernest Holmes? Yes, yeah, she okay. did. Okay. Yes. And she didn't believe in charging. She, she never charged for anything. But doesn't that speak volumes? I mean, to say that that lady just wanted to share what she had so gracefully learned herself that she didn't want to charge. Right. But she had a, a, a big argument going on with the, at that time, the, uh, the main church of science of mind, because they wanted to collect money for any, anyone who studied, studied science of mind. They wanted to collect a portion of what the other person gets. She wasn't charging. So uh, the science of mind church was not, not honoring her students. I didn't get any credit for the work I did. I didn't care. I was getting the great. Oh, it sounds it. It's she sounds. I wish I was back there, just in her house now, just learning from her. I can just see nuggets of gold being shared. I can. It, it was. must have been. Oh, it was. It must have been. Taught us so much. Yeah, it must have been. Uh, and then, um, well, this is where the music comes in. This is where your question came in. How did the music begin? Well, I've been playing piano and composing little ditties all my life, but never really composing music. Uh, so now I have a piano, a good, beautiful piano. I had a home where I made candles. The home was just right near the beach. Oh my God, near the beach. So you were living on the beach? Yeah, there's one house away, one house away from the oh, beach. Wow. On the other side of the island, uh, in a, a little town called Haula, H-A-U-U-L-A, Haula. And uh, Haula was on the east side of the island. Beautiful beaches. And there's one beach that was kind of protected and the tourists didn't know about it. Beautiful crescent beach. It's like the water was as clear as could be. It's beautiful. And, and, and just just walk out my house, just walk one house away, and there I was on the oh, beach. Oh, wow. So every and night and every morning, you could just take a gander down to the beach if you wish. Well, in the mornings, in I the would mornings. go down to the beach. Not a gander, I would get in my bathing suit and I would just jump into <laughs> the water and take a nice swim with my dog. Oh, the dog. Yeah. Yeah, we had so much fun. And uh, I'd swim around a lot, and it was salt water, yeah. but it was just beautiful water. I came back and showered. But again, so healthy. Um, I mean, just think of your life back in New York. You're now swimming at the beach every morning. What a contrast. And, 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 do, and doing yoga. And doing yoga. Doing, doing yoga after that, yeah. 
and then meditating. How long would you spend and meditating? I wasn't one of those people that the more time I spent meditating, the higher I would think I was spiritually. Yeah. I'd meditate for half hour, 45 minutes. Every day? Every day, sometimes, sometimes an hour. It just all depends. Yeah, but isn't meditation so fantastic for really, you know, calming down the mind? You know, it has so many wonderful, I'll call them side effects, if you will, but really just in the days that we even live in now, how it just calms you down and gets you away from all the technology and so forth, even now. That's exactly what it does. And so, you know, with the training I was receiving in science of mind and standing guard allowing only the positive thoughts come through. Now I have just the best friends you could possibly have. I'm eating the finest natural foods that you could buy. I'm having beautiful thoughts, great ideas. And now I'm starting to remember all those beautiful waterfalls that I had gone gone swimming in the year before when I was living in knowledge two years before that actually those waterfalls were imbued in me they, they lived inside of me they, they weren't like gone forever so i just i started creating music on that piano that had a lot of ripples in it, a lot of arpeggios in it those are i was very good at arpeggios okay arpeggios yeah up and down the piano, piano yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but but really smart intelligent mm-hmm. arpeggios uh, and I started creating music out of that. Real music with real themes and ideas. And suddenly the music started just springing out of me. I didn't write it down. I was not good at writing down music. I was never trained uh, as a, um, in, I wasn't trained in the theory of music. I was trained in how to play it. I got some theory from my teacher, but I never got university quality. But I knew music. I listened to an awful lot of music. I spent all my money on on, on records in those days, LPs. I had a huge LP collection. And I listened to music all day while I made candles. And what kind of music would you have listened to back then? Classical. I'm just classical. Just classical music. Yeah, I listened to, you know, Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and choral music in 20th century. And if you were to pick your um, favorites, who would they be? Well, I mean, my favorite is Mr. Bach. Really? Isaiah Bach himself. Yeah? Yeah, he's the absolute favorite. My, my, my personal favorite is Debussy. Oh, Debussy. Debussy oh, Impressionist. Debussy. Debussy. He was, he was the artist who, who trained me. Really? Uh, his he sound. wasn't alive. His, his, he, no, but his sound. His, in, his music. Yeah, his sound influenced you. Yes, his sound influenced me a lot. Yeah. And when we played some of my music, you'll hear you won't hear WC in it, but you hear me in in a very. Oh, I, I'm not a neo WC, and you know I'm not trying to create WC music again. But I, it's my own style. But you'll hear the influence of WC. 
Amabel, Amasta. Okay. So what did you title the music back then that you created? Waterfall music. Just simply waterfall <laughs> music for piano. Uh, that was the name of the, of, of the, I had about seven or eight pieces. Okay. And they were all titled in the book of waterfall music. And then I made a recording on that particular piano, the one that I had bought. Uh, and in those days, it was just cassette. Uh, and then a time came when there I was living on the beach. I was there for a couple of years studying with, with what we call her Nana. Nana is the name for grandmother. Beautiful. So we called her yeah. Nana. She was so special, I yeah. bet you. So special. Oh, one of the greatest human beings in she my life. She sounds it. She sounds it. She, she remolded yeah. me. She taught me positive thinking. Yeah. I, would you say she was the forerunner to modern positive thinking, perhaps? Could you say that? Or was it Ernest Holmes, maybe? That was modern positive thinking. That wasn't the forerunner to it. No, that was that was in the crowning glory of modern positive thinking. Okay. Anything after that is, is the same thing, only restated. Okay. Like Tony Robbins, for example. Right. He's thinking, but all, all, everything he got, he got from, from science of mind in one way or another. Very interesting. So when you look at the whole world of, we'll say, positive psychology and all of that, you would say it would link back to the science of mind. The whole thing is really rooted in the science of mind. To a large degree, mm -hmm. uh, there'll be people who will disagree with me on that point, okay. uh, because there are others who uh, there's Unity Church, and the Unity Church was teaching very much the same thing, but from a more Christ-oriented, Jesus-oriented. Uh, there's other schools of, of positive thinking. Science of Mind is considered pretty much the, the center. If you're going to ever read any book to learn positive thinking, and learn it as a textbook, as a real thing. You get the book Science okay. of Mind by Ernest. Yeah, Hunt. and that's widely, is it widely it? available? Very. Okay, easy to get. Very. Amazon, I suppose. Yeah. And Kindle. Oh, and Kindle as well. Okay, is it in audio form? Yeah. Yes. Oh, so it's, it's really there to suit everybody's taste then. Because I know, yes. you know, Audible is growing so much now people love to listen to books rather than read and, and study so that's fantastic that makes it so easily accessed well now on kindle you know you can get audible books that are made for kindle so that as you read the book uh you hear the words and the words are highlight every word as you read it so you listen to it and you're reading every single word and it changes pages automatically. All you have to do is there and look. If you don't want to, don't want to look anymore, you close your eyes. Just listen. Yeah, fantastic.
So you composed the waterfall music for piano and after that what happened? Yes, the next thing happened is that um, um, after living in the model for three years, I was I had a friend who lived in Maui up in the mountains in the Kula area, K-U-L-A. There's an upper Kula, there's a lower Kula, and the upper Kula is around 4,000 feet. 3,700 feet, 4,000 feet. It's still semi-tropical, but it has a kind of a California-like climate. Cool at night, uh, deciduous trees grow there, not just tropical trees, much fewer tropical trees, trees uh, less avocados, um, and but it's, it's beautiful there, rolling hills, and you look up to Aliakala, the great mountain, which is 10,000 feet high. So uh, I once asked him, if you're ever going to move from your home, would you let me have it? Give me the first choice of the home. And he said, yes, they were very close friends. And so what happens? I get a call after two years of living in, in Oahu. Well, we're moving to Oregon. And if you want the home, it's yours. Okay, it's mine. Wow. Bye. So you got a house. I'll move. I have to have yeah, it. Yeah. So I moved back to Maui. So I sold the piano and I bought another one, even a more beautiful piano. This time it was a Mason and Hamlin. Uh, and it was a uh, Mason and Hamlin's American made piano. And it was mahogany. And it was in beautiful shape. Larger piano, a parlor sized grand. About six feet. Oh, that's a big sound. Where, where the uh, uh, the uh, other piano is four feet eight, maybe. And uh, uh, so I then uh, moved moved over, bought the uh, bought, bought the piano in Oahu, and moved that one over, and moved into my new home. And did you hold concerts there? Eventually, I did. Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. And what did people think of your music? Because this is a new sound. This, this is, it has been influenced by Debussy, but it's a new sound. What is, what was the reaction? People love my music. I mean, I just had nothing but raves from people. And I'm not making this up. I really did. People loved yeah. it. But I had some house concerts on that particular piano. It was such a pretty piano. But later on in another segment of our discussion, uh, I will tell you about a third piano that came to me, a brand new one. A third piano? Yes. We don't know about that yet. I haven't, I haven't mentioned it to you. So that will happen after okay. in the third segment. Okay. So it, so listeners you're hearing there's many segments to this story so you'll have to tune in for the next segment well paul this is a fascinating story and you said that um to me before the interview that the final release of waterfall music happened in 1990 so what happened in 1990 did you remaster the music or did you re-record the music i re-recorded it um i i've been fortunate to have these pianos come to me, I'll give you the sequence. Uh, the first one was the one I just mentioned that, that uh, I bought in Oahu 
and uh, he could, the man couldn't finish the case. The second piano was the Mason and Hammond that I brought from Maui. That I, that I, I bought in Maui when I traded in the other piano uh, and then moved it to, uh, to Maui. I had that piano for, for a few years. It was wonderful. And then I came to the mainland uh, to do a big film. And while I was there, I was able to acquire a European grand piano, seven foot four. Seven foot yes. four. The sound must be amazing out of it. Oh, that was it a must be piano a of heavenly sound. Uh, that's a great story. That's in like the fourth or fifth section already, okay? Oh, whoa, so we've six segment segments. Okay, uh, we're going down the road, but I'm giving you a little hint. Uh, and yeah, then okay. finally, but finally what happened was uh, then that piano uh, I had to sell. Um, and I'll tell you reasons why, very, very beautiful reasons why I had to sell that piano. Uh, and then I was in the phase where I was now here in California, I was selling my music all over the country, having great success financially, and was able to buy the piano of my absolute dreams, the Busendorfer piano. That was another seven foot four. Those were the pianos that, uh, when Hollywood got sound in movies, they used the, they used the Busendorfer exclusively. They got the best tone, the best sound. And where was that piano manufactured? Was it a European piano? Vienna. Oh, Vienna. And okay. Manufactured in Vienna. That, that, that's a story down the line. Uh, that's <laughs> where I really finished off my, my piano music. That's where I re-recorded waterfall music for the third or fourth time. But now I had the final version. And that's what you're, what you're going to be playing for, for, for the audience. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Paul, it sounds like a fascinating story. And all I can say is listeners tune in for the next episode because this story continues with all its exciting twists and turns. So, Paul, thank you very much for your time today and tune in to the next episode. Oh, you bet. There's a lot more to hear. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. I really can't. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sylvia. I really To find out more about Waterfall Music and the Paul Lloyd Warner Foundation, go to waterfallgiving.com.